You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features author, speaker, and entrepreneur, Aisha K. Faines. Aisha is the founder of Women Love Power. In her own words, she helps women acquire real power in love and in life by tapping into their unique feminine instincts. But Aisha didn't start out as an entrepreneur. She's a former news reporter who walked away from her dream job to pursue a new calling. The journey was not seamless, but we get into to exactly how she did it. And we talk about what it really means for women to reclaim their power. This is a good one, family. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Aisha, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I am fabulous. Thank you for having me. You're looking fabulous. So are you. Thank, Thank you. you. In spite of the rain, here we are. I know. This day, I don't know, but you got to push through. This yes. is like the epitome of trying to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. It's, it's trying to be extraordinary <laughs> and frizzed for free on an ordinary day. Exactly. Yes. But you're here. We're excited to have you. I must say, DeMarcus was the one that was like, we have to have Aisha. And he really has been singing your praises and sending me all your videos. And I started watching and I was like, oh, yeah, she's bringing it. So we're honored to have you on. Thank you. I'm an honor to be here. I'm excited. Awesome. So tell me, who is Aisha Faines? Who is Aisha Faines? Well, honestly, Aisha Faines and Aisha K. Faines are slightly different. Okay, so break it down for us. But today I'm going to talk to you as Aisha Faines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aisha Aisha Faines is a writer and a speaker and a dancer. Uh, She is a doting daughter and a sister and a friend. She's a champion for feminine power and what happens when we honor the feminine consciousness in men and women. And in particular, when women stand in their truth and their light and they are the highest expressions of themselves, what that does for society. I am a lover and I'm an idealist and I am a woman of tremendous faith. So that's who I am. That is a great summary. You know, I am curious now <laughs> as to who Aisha K. Faines is. Aisha K. Well. Faines is an extension. Aisha okay. K. Faines was born in 2000, the night I won my first pageant. Wow. <laughs> I was like a, I was like really shy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my mother put me in a pageant. It's Hal Jackson's Talented Teens International. Hal Jackson. <laughs> somebody, somebody <laughs> in this audience just said, yeah. Yes, exactly. That happened. That definitely happened. We heard you from here. (laughs) Yeah, there was the New Jersey pageant. um, And um, my mother put me in and I was a I was a ballet dancer. I actually grew up training to be a classical ballet dancer. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you're going to do this. And I was like, no, next year. She's like, nope, we're going to do it this year. And, you know, you're going to do it all because we don't go back. And um, I was very shy. And they were like, you know, she's got the talent and everything, but she's got to really come out. She's got to sell herself. And I don't know what happened that night, but I got on stage and it was like the spirit. Something was born. <laughs> the Sasha Fierce was born. I discovered that I loved the stage and beyond mm-hmm. loving dance. I loved communicating with people mm-hmm. and feeling them. And uh, and I've always been actually surprisingly shy, mm-hmm. but I've been able to say, OK, girl, you might be feeling awkward. Let's bring Aisha K. Faines out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring that that other that alter ego out. Yes, but it also helps now that I'm in the I've been in the public eye since I was 22. I started off as a TV reporter, mm-hmm. and it's always helped to have a, a line of distinction for me because I have to know that when I'm getting hate mail or when people sure. are saying what they are, that's Aisha. That's the brand. That's not you know they right. don't know me. I like that you yeah. draw a line in the sand mm-hmm. between the 
too. Exactly. So let's go back to Aisha Fans. Yes. Wanted to be a classical dancer. Yes. How did you go from that to television? God, how did I? You know what? I think I think it happened in high school. Um, I grew up enamored by the ballet. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite childhood memories was my mom. Um, and it's so crazy because both my parents grew up in Newark, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they education, Brick American City. Dream, Brick City, mm-hmm. education, and they, you know, gave me a lovely childhood. And my, But I always think about, my mom didn't know anything about classical ballet. What possessed her when I was seven years old to say, I'm going to buy season tickets to New York City Ballet and take my child every year? Like, wh- I don't she, know. So she was a season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, let's take this one field trip. It was uh, every season and my dad would drive us in, mm-hmm. he would wait, and then we'd have dinner after. It was my favorite childhood memory. Um, and I started dancing when I was three. And I was just enamored and um, started training a dancer of Harlem at 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think around high school, I started having to make these decisions between uh, academics and dance. Mm-hmm. And so what summer program are you going to do? Are you going to train at Dance of Harlem? Are you going to take the summer program that's going to look really good in your college resume? And increasingly, I don't know, maybe this was a higher power making the decision for me. I continued to choose um, academics and also uh, during, during the year I trained at a conservatory in New Jersey I was the, the fly in the buttermilk I was the only you know black girl and this is before the age of Misty Copeland this is before Instagram mm-hmm. this is you really felt isolated and the challenges of maintaining the body the challenges of being the only one it was really hard and so um, I ultimately you know, decided to go to school. And I I really battled that for my, probably my entire undergraduate career wow. and wondered whether or not I made the right choice. Now I know mm-hmm. I absolutely made the right choice. Um, everything that's happened in my life has positioned me to where I am today, but I really struggled with it. And Dance will always be a part of my life. Now I'm a salsa dancer. Mm-hmm. So it's all good. And salsa, yeah, we all and in the, the, the hips, the fluffiness, all of that, like, it's good. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, like, I love that I can connect to my body so differently because in ballet, it was always about precision and technique sure. and control and, you know, being a certain size and as beautiful as it was, uh, I don't know how healthy that was. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you moved away from dance. Yes. And then how did you get to the point where you said, you know what? TV. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Uh, well, high school, while I was flourishing as a dancer, I happened to go to a high school that had a public access station um, based in the high school. And that was God. That was really, I mean, you know, because how many high schools have a TV right. station in them? That's kind of crazy. And we could take it at a, a freshman year and sophomore year. You could take TV 101 and like 102 or something as an elective. And then the best students who were interested could continue to take TV production junior and senior year and you got to work uh, at the public access Mm. station, hosting, producing, whatever. They gave us free reign. Wow. So I did that for four years. I even did a summer program in TV and and film. And I'll never forget, um, at freshman year, our first class, my TV uh, instructor, he wanted to teach us just the basic dynamics of how a control room works, uh, you know, how a show goes from a concept to being broadcast on air. So he had each of us do a little role. So somebody do camera, somebody did graphics, mm-hmm. and we were just
just learning. And so for some reason, he's like, Aisha, okay, so you sit in the host chair and when you see the red light, that's what you look at. And we were just making it up. It was like me and like three fake guests, three mm-hmm. other students. And after we were done doing this like mock show and just learning about the TV, the, the TV newsroom, he said, oh, do you do this? Like, are you do you do stuff on TV? I was like, oh, no, I was just joshing. And he's like, oh, you have a gift. <laughs> I never forgot that he said that. Mm-hmm. And that was the seed. And by the time I got to college, I had decided I wanted to go into television somehow, some way. So. so did you direct your academic concentration to that career path? Um, in college, I was uh, near Eastern Languages and Civilizations major, which is uh, Yale's way of saying Middle Eastern Studies because I got to be extra. It's so Yale. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's Yale. They can do that. Because like, everybody's like, what is that? It's Middle Eastern Studies. Um, and I, I think I just studied what, what interested me. But that was all through um, all through undergrad. I did a fellowship with CNBC. I wrote um, for different publications. So the focus was um, being in television. And I always had this vision of myself, um, you know, reporting, which I did fulfill. Just things kind of changed once right. I started. Which mm-hmm. we're going to get into that. <laughs> but when you went into Yale's version of Middle Eastern Studies, mm-hmm. was it a strategic thing? I mean, you said that you, you did, you said it would interest you, but did you say, oh, I, I could take this in my view of the world and parlay that into TV? Did you connect those dots at 18, In the 19? back of my mind, I said this may in the future maybe would help me, you know, do, you know, foreign correspondence or something okay. like that. In the back of my mind. But honestly, I was always more enamored by Arabic poetry mm-hmm. <laughs> and crazy enough by I learned so much about women being a being a Middle Eastern studies major. I had these incredible uh, professors who were Arab scholars and they were women. And the way they, you know, because obviously the issue of women's rights and liberations is such a hot topic right. in the Middle East. And the way that they were able to kind of help me understand, um, help me understand rights and the liberties of women and kind of the, the dynamic forces that we don't look at that go into um, the suppression and oppression of women, like how I was able to see it from a theological perspective, from a political perspective. Uh, it was like I didn't study women's studies, but I actually accidentally did. Got it. And I had these incredible, like, badass women teaching mm-hmm. me like out of the Middle East as a scholar where you know in the Middle East is that's that's a thing you right. know you're not a game right you know exactly. so um that's that's what actually fascinated me by it but I think in the back of my mind I said okay maybe one day this will come in handy and what were your parents saying because often when we come from like these hard-working yes, families you already who, like, know. <laughs> have invested in us to you know pursue a per- certain path yeah and it's okay if you deviate but if it's one that's like a safety net where you yes. know guaranteed income making bank, all this stuff. Were they like, what are you doing? How are you going to make um, a career out of this? N- yes and no. My mother has always been like, I want you to do exactly what it is you want to do in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father, I mean, they, they definitely both supported the television ambition because I think they saw that I could do it. Um, and also I've been known to be like, I've been known to be clever. Like I've been known, I will find a way mm-hmm. to get what I want. And that that's all I've always been that way. Mm-hmm. So I think they trusted that. My my father, uh, he's a judge, but he, you know, obviously was an attorney for many years. And I think he really wanted me to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And he really had this vision of even if Aisha's on TV, like, she, you know, she should be like a political correspondent or she should do like politics or something like that. Like she needs to go to law school. So the fact that I did not go to law school, number one, but mm-hmm. two, like even now that, that I do commentary, it's, you know, on women's issues and it's very provocative. <laughs> right. It took him some like, what? 
is she doing? But he, <laughs> he has like really come around and, um, and I think now he, he gets it. And mm-hmm. especially now that things are starting to kind of work, he's like, oh, I get it. But, uh, <laughs> you gotta like, they gotta see the momentum and the yes. train leaving the station sometimes. Absolutely. But, but I, my mama has never questioned anything. That's, that's a mom. That's a, that's you, a mom. Right? Ever. But I will say shout out to your dad with that old school being willing to drive his wife and child to the city and yes. wait. Wait. That, we don't get that now. That, that is definitely uh, that, uh, I, the days you know gone by. We don't, we don't so have that true. in our era. That but. is so true. I hope that, you know, when I marry, it's a guy that's willing to... The guy that will wait for you wait. outside while you do your thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you go to a little record store? I mean, music. browse around, do that's something. It. That is very old school. That so. is, I just, I actually just <laughs> thought about that when you said that. I'm like, that is, I got to tell him that. Shout out to Pop for that <laughs> one. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you come out of school. Mm-hmm. Do you get your dream job or what mm-hmm. you think is your dream job right away? Mm-hmm. Where did you land? I landed in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman who, um, I did a, I did a program called the Emma Bowen Foundation. I actually want to say that just in case there's anybody who is listening and interested in journalism or knows somebody that is because it's an incredible foundation trying to get women of, uh, women, people of color in newsrooms kind of to fight bias in that way. And they paired me with CNBC. I was paid to work for CNBC for four years all through college. Wow. Um, got a, a demo reel that I made when I was at CNBC. And I met this woman at one of their conferences who worked uh, in talent development at NBC at the time. She was like a big shot. And I remember her telling me two things. Number one, she said this industry is a hustle. Don't mm-hmm. ever forget that. Um, and I'm glad she did because it's not necessarily meritocracy. It is a hustle. It's who's the most clever and hard, you know, <laughs> opportunistic. And she said, two, if you do not have a job uh, by the time you graduate, go to a Unity Conference. Unity Conference used to be every four years and it was the black journalists, the Asian journalists, everybody together every four years. And there was this huge job fair. Every media organization was there scouting. She said, go to that conference, bring your tapes and network. Mm-hmm. And so it was like July. I did not have a job and I took my graduation money <laughs> and I went to Chicago where the conference was and I handed my tape out to everybody who would look at it. And there was this woman there and she said, oh, you're kind of green. You know, you need to get into a small market. And we're talking like market like 150, you know, wow. out of like 200 media market. She's like, you get a small market, get that greenness out. And then, you know, come back to like a year or so, reach out to me. I, you know, I would love to hire you. I see the potential. And so I was like, all right. So I'm sending out tapes, go back from the conference, made a couple connections, but, you know, nothing really panning out, still sending out tapes. And then in September, so that conference was July in September, she reached out to me. Oh, we had a reporter quit, wanted to see if you ever found a job. I was like, oh, no, I was just as green as when she said. Right. I'm like, that hasn't just changed. As green. But she, she, she remembered me um, and she gave me my first job. Her name was Mo Reddy Baker and I became a reporter and it was the market number 47, which is really not a market you start in. So you started in top 50 mm-hmm. with no Nothing. substantive Nothing. experience. Not a, not a thing. As an on-air personality, mm-hmm. essentially. On a morning show. What were you feeling? And were you like, I got this? Or was there some trepidation? Um, I gotta be honest. I, I was like, I got that. The thing is like, <laughs> the thing is I am really hard-headed mm-hmm. and really stubborn. That is my worst quality and that is my best quality. Like, and I had this image of myself reporting and I didn't tell my parents until after I got that job. I was like, oh yeah, there were opportunities to work at other places and do other things. I didn't, like I tossed everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm it's all or nothing. And because I had so much faith that 
it was going to happen. It was it was the faith of a person that does not know she can fail. I don't even know if I have that kind of faith today. Yeah. I think it was just I was young. Were you, you were in your twenties? No, right? I was like you're twenty two. I didn't know it was, it was straight up <laughs> blind confidence. Exactly what it is. I was like I'm going to be a news reporter. I didn't. Everybody was like, uh, you got to start. Da, 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 da. And I was like, no, like I <laughs> did not mm-hmm. understand that I actually could have fallen on my face. <laughs> So when I got the job, I was like, yes, this is my vision. This is what I thought would happen. And um, yeah, I went in there like gangbusters. I, um, I, I I think the trepidation was there was definitely a learning curve and okay. I was homesick. But um, I never for once like questioned whether or not I should or whether or not I could. Because for me, it was like, oh, I've been seeing this vision in my head mm-hmm. since high school. This okay. is it. So you're in this this market, top 50 market. Mm-hmm. You, I just want to touch back on what you said about being a dancer and all this yes. pressure to look a certain way, be a certain size. Yes. Was that in your mind as well, going into TV? Blind confidence, once again. So once again, you were just like, no, I'm good. (laughs) No. um, Admittedly, I had done pageants. Okay. Crazy enough, pageants paid for about probably 20% of my my college education. Yeah, and scholarships. So I think that gives you this confidence in terms of how to make an impression Mm -hmm. and how to present yourself. So even when you're nervous, you know how to. And I think that may have um, given me that. uh, But yeah, it's, it's so interesting because now when I watch TV, I was like, I don't see that many people who look like me. Right. But these are things I didn't become aware of until later on. Like mm-hmm. when I went down there, I just, I didn't, I didn't realize how lucky I was. I don't think so. I almost, major, like, almost to a certain extent took it for granted. Major opportunity yeah. right out of school. Mm-hmm. No solid experience in the field. And we're not talking about, I went to a fortune 50, like fortune 500 company, mm-hmm. a fortune 50 company. And they gave me a job on a, on a desk, even though I wasn't a finance major. Yeah. We're talking about like TV is TV. a whole other On the beast. morning show. On the morning show. And quickly show. became like they made so much money off of me. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> I was hosting stuff every week. Like they made so much okay. money off of me. They had, they attached a franchise to my, like they made so much money off of me. It's crazy. And how much were they? Can you say what they were paying you? <laughs> not a lot. Okay. Yeah, we've had some discussions Ooh, on this show about what news anchors and reporters get paid. Oh, it was, it was a shock less, to me. I'd say it was less than 50000 Okay, that's and, what I thought. And but the 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 silver lining was is the cost of living in Jacksonville, Florida. Very low. Was, I lived like when my friends came to visit me, they thought I was balling. You were balling. They out, were right? like, "Are you balling out of control?" I was like, "No," because <laughs> you could literally like get a place down oh, there. Oh, place for, was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a beautiful gorgeous. place. A lot of square footage for mm-hmm. less than a thousand dollars. Unlike here, mm-hmm. I was literally paying about a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. and here that would give me one of the rooms, and you place. may not have a refrigerator for a thousand dollars a month. And or you definitely, you're going to the laundromat. Like. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, I mean, I think I think I was young and I was I don't think I was even cocky. I just didn't know failure mm-hmm. up until that point. Everything in my life I had gotten. Mm-hmm. So it just never it did not dawn on me until after those years that uh, you could go for things that you really wanted and they could either not come out or not come out right away. Right. And that and honestly, just to touch on what we were talking about before, mm-hmm. um, because I often say, well, I think that I'm better and more self-assured in, in a sustainable way today. Mm-hmm. I think about the person that I was, you know, at 20, 21, 22, and would see, I want to work at this company. Oh, they're looking for someone who already graduated from college. Well, I haven't graduated, but I know I have the skill set. Get me an interview and take it from there. And they yes. hired me in that job. Before. Yes. Like things like that. And then I wonder like, I 
I'm not that person no, anymore. I. I, I think more about it. But I think what happens is when you've had negative outcomes, then that injects this uncertainty into you where you start to think and analyze mm-hmm. and say, uh, this could go another way. Yes. Once you've had yes. that experience, it's like you start talking about what could happen. I wish I don't I'm not that person mm-hmm. anymore. I'd be the first to tell you I wish I could be. I don't think I could if I tried. Right. I, 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 I I can acknowledge my fear and willfully move past it. Mm-hmm. But to be in that place where you literally just like, no, I'm be a reporter. What? Excuse me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the job hasn't come yet, but it's coming. What yes. are you talking about? Like I. Nah. Life has a way of beating you down, let's say. It's, it is hard. It, yes. I mean, resilience with age, I mm-hmm. mean, the older you get, the harder it is to be light and resilient and right. fearless. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're, okay, so you were fearless. You're in this job. Mm-hmm. They've now attached a franchise to you. You're doing your thing. Mm-hmm. What happens? I wasn't happy. Why? I can't describe it. I recognized that what I was doing was valuable. I realized that I knew that what it was I was supposed to do was going to involve speaking to people. But for some reason, I got nothing out of the newsroom. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy the stories. I did not enjoy the the bias in the newsroom, the politics behind the newsroom. I felt like I was tap dancing. That was going to be my question. Did I you was, feel like you were this token? That was the closest I became to ever being a dancer. Shucking <laughs> <laughs> and jiving in the newsroom. <laughs> Got my wish after all. See how God works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was tap dancing. I did not. I And I realized it was a letdown. Mm-hmm. It was like when Dorothy finally meets the wizard. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's it. Right. This is it. This is news. And it was like these stories we're doing are number one, bias, But number two, not, you know, they're, they're there to fill time. We're covering the same kinds of stories. We're not really making an impact. And where I found my fulfillment was when these community organizations many of them African-American or women's organizations would reach out to me, say, can you host this event? Can you speak um, at this event? And it was there where I was like face to face with people, Mm -hmm. uh, sharing my story, sharing my ideas, or just being a part of the fabric of that community. That's where I felt this pain of, "Mm, I feel something like this is the direction my life's supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was when I got into local news that I realized okay, my destiny is definitely communication. Mm -hmm. It's definitely speaking to people, but there's got to be something behind that message. I don't know what that is yet, but I was also homesick and, and just over the the politics and newsroom. And and I was at this place where I was just like, I don't see myself doing this for 20 years. If I do this for 20 years and stay in the game, even if you add more money to it in a bigger market, I'm still going to be like unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I saw that at that age. And so the original intent was, well, honestly, it was not hard to make the decision because they wanted me to sign another contract that was for a number of years. Okay. And when it's an all or nothing situation, it's easy to walk away because Mm -hmm. it's not even like, okay, it wasn't like I just got up one day and quit. It was like my contract came to an end. They put another contract in front of me and pressured me to sign it. And I was like, I can't be, I don't want to be here for that many years. I had been looking at other places. The agents wouldn't really touch me because I was on a morning show, which 
was their bread and butter and it was very popular. So they needed to keep me on that morning show, but it kept me from doing good stories that would actually get me out of that market. So because you were profitable in this space, they would not present opportunities mm-hmm. to you that would allow you to kind of spread your wings. Yes. And also partially, I mean, I hate to say this, but there was also just some bias in the newsroom as well. So I saw other people getting opportunities that, you know, other people who were green as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not, I'm advocating, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. I'm not really getting these opportunities. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like that person, but I mean, maybe if I'd stayed another three years, I would have obviously gotten, you know, but I just had to fight so hard to get every opportunity. So it was, it was hard to get an agent. And I think what I saw wasn't so much that this is too hard. It was, I don't know that it is worth the fight for me right. if in the end, I'm going to be doing more of this. Yeah. And I think the, <laughs> the fight is real and we don't, oh, yeah. we don't glaze over that on this show. Yeah. We acknowledge that often our path as people of color is going Just to be harder. harder. You can be delivering, you can be knocking out of the park, you can be making money mm-hmm. for these, these entities and brands. Mm-hmm. And they look at you like, oh, wait, you, you think we're supposed to give you more opportunity because you're giving all this to us? Right. Like, no, just be our cash cow, do what we say. And someone else who may be the same or not even as good mm-hmm. because they don't look like us is given an easier path to grow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I, I saw girls walk in that newsroom and they were advocated for, you know, there mm-hmm. was somebody in a, a producer position or Simon under position making sure that if this was going to be the big story and this is going to be the story that was going to make national news, their face was on that story. Wow. You know, and it was, it was, it was hard. It was hard knowing that like I was working so hard and I was having a hard time getting an agent because the agents all said the same thing. All we need you to do, you know, they need to put you on some hard news. They need to give you. So, um, but beyond that, I think that if I'd chosen to stay another three years and worked hard, I would have gotten into another market and, mm-hmm. you know, it would have worked itself out. I just, I saw even in my early 20s that I'm going to, I'm going to end up making more money in another market, but still being unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this is my fight, but I still recognized that what I was doing was the best kind of education I could have for communication. Like, I'm so grateful. It was to me, it was like graduate school. Wow. I am so grateful because first of all, if you're going to speak for a living, nothing beats having to do it every single day in for front sure. of a camera live. <laughs> no, and no matter what having to do it, no matter what's going on with you personally, nope. whether you're tired, you know, sick, doesn't matter. Sad, the camera that and might turn red and it's boom. You know, you've got somebody talking in your ear, lights blowing up in front of you, like rain. It doesn't matter. Keep talking. I don't think there's any training on yeah, the no. planet. I'm going to just say right now, I don't know if I could talk with someone talking in my ear. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. That's not how my brain is set up. I'm sorry. It's the worst. You'll literally be talking and it's literally the director. Yeah, so we're just getting some breaking news in right now. Like having a straight oh conversation gosh. and you're talking into the camera. Yeah, no, I'm not built for that. <laughs> so it's, it is, um, which is why actually when I, when I tune into like a CNN or something and it's breaking news, mm-hmm. I applaud them because I'm like, the audience has no idea that they're delivering this news. Is it going on? Yes. You know, and it's mass chaos around them. That is a gift. Yeah, it's a gift. For it's sure. really a gift. Um, um, but so, yeah, I realized that I was I was learning. But more than anything, I realized the number one message was you learn how to take a series of events and turn it into a story. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, 
you can engage anybody because we humans don't care about events. Humans care, care, care about stories. Mm-hmm. So when we tell the news, we're not really telling you what happened. We're making a story about what happened and we're telling you that story. And so even today, whenever I engage people or communicate or speak before people, I'm always aware that they want to hear the story. They want the part that is the human part mm-hmm. of the essence. That's what's going to connect them. They want the realness. And it also going to a market in the South. I was from the liberal, yes, you know, upper middle class neighborhood in North Jersey going to the South where they voted for Trump and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all of that. Different ballgame. It was eye opening, but it was important. And it also taught me the things that actually bring people together. It mm-hmm. taught me that no matter how different people are, We all care about the same thing. We care about our safety. We care about our taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, we care about a certain amount of stability and, you know, finding some sort of, you know, family life or some happiness. You know, we care about, you know, what's happening overseas. Can we send our kids to school? I mean, there's, I sound like a politician, but there are certain things that actually bring people together. We all kind of have the same cares and fears and concerns. And I think learning that at a young age, it set me up. Sure. Yeah, for what I would do. So I'm great. Which is why, you know, we we say often on this show, we sort of repeat the mantra that like everything that happens to you is pushing you in the direction of what you were meant to do. If you follow the lessons and you follow the signs and Mm -hmm. and remain grateful, even when it's not good. And often, you know, for me, I've learned that I don't need to look for a sign Mm -hmm. of what this means today, because Mm -hmm. even if I don't know right now, it will be revealed in time. You'll know. And there are sometimes full circle moments can take years years before you say, that is why I get it. That happened. I knew that it was equipping me for what's happening today, a decade later. I had someone tell me it wasn't until they sang at a family member's funeral that they figured out why they knew how to sing. Wow. And that to me was one of the most profound. Like they were like, it was in that moment at this funeral when I got up to sing a song that I realized, oh, this is why I was given this gift. Mm-hmm. It could take a long time. I think there's seasons for everything. And it's just like, be in your season. Right. It may be uncomfortable, it may be awkward, it may be the winter of your life, but be in your season exist in that season, flourish in in that season, even like one day it really all will make sense. Mm-hmm. But for now, being that season, I also feel like I have so many friends who are going through what I went through five years ago, the identity crisis, but they're having theirs now more so in their third, mid thirties, mm-hmm. later thirties. Um, and they're like, I don't, I checked off all the gold stars. I did everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm at this great law firm. I'm at this great station. Da, da, da. But I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be right. doing. And it's like, okay, you know, chill there because whatever it is you're meant to be doing, you're more than qualified for. But you don't have to chase your purpose because your purpose is going it's to find you. find you and it's going <laughs> to overtake you. And overtake you. And I mean, we can be honest about the fact that it doesn't feel good all the time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not one of these like warm and fuzzy people who are like, you know, I'm in this terrible season. Season, but like, you know, I'm just remaining positive. There right. are some certain days where you're like, no, this no, this is sucks. bad. Like, this is bad. I don't know, <laughs> you know, how I'm going to work this out. It's OK yes. to have those feelings and be honest about it. I think it's beneficial and healthy. Absolutely. But it's being willing to say, you know what? This is a part of my story. Yes. And nobody wants to see a story where it's like, and all these great things happened and I was successful. At the, end. the end. That is not that's not how it works. Never. You know? So yeah, I think our lives are cyclical. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. Go down and go up. And if you're up, you're going to go down. And right. So. <laughs> you better ride that wave and enjoy it. Yes, enjoy it. Right. And put a little nest egg to the side. Yes. Too, just in case when you go down, it affects your finances. <laughs> 
seen just it. saying it happens yes it does listen to black women okay because that <laughs> yes. was a word <laughs> i'm just saying okay that Prepare was for the low on every that's level. very true very true so let's talk about how your seasons shifted so you yes. they put this contract down in front of you they say you know here's what you want to do sign it for this, mm-hmm. this time frame and you say no, no not what i want in the deepest pits of my stomach it was like rationally i knew girl you don't have anything lined up mm-hmm. sign this contract in my stomach when I thought about it I physically became ill wow and I I can't I was like I can't do it so one day my my boss she was just putting more and more pressure on me and she says to me in a meeting oh yeah so the you know the contract you have to still talk about that because you know I was like oh you didn't get the letter on your in your desk and she's like what I was like oh I I'm not going to sign it. <laughs> so that's how she found out you were rejecting the I was so I was so wrong. I didn't even I didn't even realize what I was doing. Like to me, I was just like, oh no, I'm I'm leaving. I left the letter on your desk. Like as for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. But she was like, <laughs> what this little girl? So and it wasn't the woman that hired me. She the woman who actually hired me and nurtured my talent actually retired. Mm-hmm. But Flash was forced to retire. One so this is a yeah craft the narrative, but we're forcing you out. Yeah. So it was one of those situations. So, um, yeah, that's that's how that ended. And so I got back and I had I had this little thing set up that actually didn't pan out. I was going to be writing for this publication. It didn't pan out. And so most people don't know this, but when I immediately got back and I was looking for a job, I was teaching dance and helping my mom in her medical office. I'm not the doctor. Okay, so you had been on television. <laughs> Top 50 Mark. Yes. I'm going to re- reiterate this station. Go you know, had built a franchise around mm-hmm. you, making all this money. They didn't ask you to leave. I left. You left. You made the choice to leave. So you go from being in television mm-hmm. to teaching dance classes, which is mm-hmm. Went back to teaching ballet. Respectful, yep. right? And helping my out in your mom's yep. office. Yep, um, helping manage her office. And how are you feeling at that moment? Really lost. Well, the the uh, the goal was I figured out by the time I left news that I wanted to write and speak and inspire and I needed but I, I didn't know what my platform was mm-hmm. at that time I had so many friends who were entrepreneurs I was like you know it would be really cool to like interview them and create a platform so that's actually what I was doing on the side it's okay. just that I wasn't paying any money so there was that but I also was feeling incredibly lost because mm-hmm. I just didn't have any motivation it was like well I didn't want to stay in Florida but I don't really this isn't working out and I don't know if I should go to school because that doesn't feel right I don't know if I should go back into news and so I was just applying for different things and nothing was panning out Mm -hmm. nothing um and eventually I ended up kind of getting back in the game because I just ended up doing freelance writing for different publications. Okay. So that's kind of how I stayed working. And I was like working on this platform about like upstarts and underdogs. But I really wasn't passionate about it at all. And the reason I did it was because somebody who was a mentor of mine was like, OK, well, you know, if you want to kind of build a platform for yourself, like entrepreneurship is hot. You have a lot of friends who are mm-hmm. entrepreneurs do this. So for a while I was with my mom. I was teaching. I was writing freelance. I was kind of, I, I think I started like two or three digital platforms okay. that kind of like just did okay. Mm-hmm. So then eventually I started really thinking, okay, I made a mistake. I guess I have to go back into TV. Easier said than done. Um, and I started uh, auditioning and sending out my tapes and stuff like that. And 
and things were coming to close to planning out and then they didn't. And then I got this job. It was supposed to be on air. And then after I got hired, they were like, oh, we're going to have you just write for this, this, yeah. Girl, I've been through the ringer. That station doesn't even exist anymore. Oh, I'm going to come to the cherry on top. We're all done. And then eventually I started, I think maybe a year or so in, I started really hitting the pavement. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back into TV. I'm going to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to this like job, this conference and met this woman. And one thing I've always been able to do is like finesse a situation. And <laughs> <laughs> who knew a woman who knew a woman who knew a woman? And there was a show. And I always said, I want to be in TV. I want to, if I want, if I'm going to be in TV, I at least want to be in like Northeast. So I'm not homesick. I'm not so far away from my parents. Cause you know, when you're in TV, you don't get holidays and stuff off. You're right, just there. You're working. It's mm-hmm. very homesick. So it's like, you know, I'll be in a, a hot, big market. I'll be like close to, so I found this position. Um, they weren't hiring. Um, I finessed my way into getting the human resources person at this station. It was a Fox station to just introduce me to the to the executive producer, which she did. So I would leave her alone. <laughs> she was like, let me just yes. hook this girl up so She's that I like, can go on about my business. So I go in. It's supposed to just be like a little tour. I meet the executive producer. We're chatting. Da-da-da-da. What do you think about this? Da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm really concerned about this, too. I think this. Da-da-da. Little meeting. I go home. And I'm like, okay, I made a decent impression. That's it. I don't think anything of it. He calls the next day and he's like, you have to be on the show. I'm going to make a position for you. Give me some time. When can you start? So just like that. Just like that. So I was like, okay. So this is the job. I'm like, okay, it's all making sense now. Mm-hmm. Maybe Florida wasn't it. But maybe I'm supposed to go back in news. And I got this position. It's in the number one media market. This was in the New York City market. So you went. So this is what I will say. You know how to find a, a big market. That's for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> life is dating. People think life is like a stair step. Life is not a stair step. Life is a cliff. It's from here. Right. You fall off the cliff. And then you, and you swung right, right back up. <laughs> number one market. So this is where the story gets crazy. So I, he gives me a start date. He talks to higher ups. And and the start date's on a Monday. And he's like, the last thing he says is, I have to talk to them about money, but I pretty much sold them. Because this is basically his idea. Mm-hmm. But this is a this is Fox. So he, he's executive producer, but they're in a number one market, there are definitely people over him who get the ultimate say. Who, who are gonna have to rubber stamp whatever that is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think when he went for money, that's when they said, Well, who is this person anyway? <laughs> like, what are you doing? So he brought brings me on. He says, this is a conversation we had the Friday before I was supposed to start for good. Like, start. He goes, okay, I'm having an issue with the executives, with the management. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is this we're going to start you, but we're going to call it an audition. OK. And I was like and my heart dropped. So what ended up happening is I ended up working for a limited amount of time. And then the higher ups brought in another guy who was a white man mm-hmm. with no experience for the position that they created for me and gave it to him. So they created it's not a position. That they weren't existed. even looking. Right. They weren't they even were, looking for anybody. They were not looking. No. And he met. He meets me. He meets you and says this woman has something. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to create a lane for her. Mm-hmm. Brings it to them. And they're like, who is this? Now, you have the experience. Mm-hmm. You've been in a large market. I had more experience than everybody on the show. Because it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was a young I literally had more experience than everybody of course, on the show. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now he's got to sell it mm-hmm. to them to create this position. Mm-hmm. 
So you go. Which you I didn't know because this part he didn't tell me. He was like the job was it was a done like the job had been given. It was done. Mm-hmm. It was just the only thing was like, OK, we just got to talk financials. But right. like literally it wasn't even like I might. It was like, no, you're this is your start date. OK, mm-hmm. so where did you go in like confident? Like, I got this. Like, give me that. I opinion. knew when we had that conversation that this might not pan out. OK, yeah. but you go in, give your and all I anyway. gave it my all. And it was I mean, I gave it my all. And the crazy thing is I hated every minute of it. So you you actually didn't enjoy it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I would have taken it because mm-hmm. it would have been a paycheck. It would have been back on air. I would have been it would have been the job. Mm-hmm. I would have swallowed that pill and done it. And obviously it didn't pan out. So but the fact that this position was created for, for me you, and given and there was a question or a hesitancy about the money part, because mm-hmm. we're off. We are often not valued. Yeah. You know, and, and people, even if it's implicit bias, mm-hmm. have a hard time processing the fact they have to pay people who look a certain way, a certain amount of money. Yeah. Just keep it all the way real. Yep. So you go in anyway, even mm-hmm. though you're unhappy, make it happen. And then the position that was created for you and the money else. that was allocated or would have been allocated to you goes, goes to, to someone else. Room. Yes. And where did they find this guy? Like, where did I don't know if from? he was on the back burner or somebody that they thought maybe because when I came to the show, it was like, we've got this great cast. We love this cast. And it was like hashtag no new friends. It mm-hmm. was like that. And then when he met me, that made him think, oh, gosh, maybe we do need to shake it up a little bit. And so when he went to the upper manager, was like, I found this girl. She's going to be great. Da, da, da. I think they came to him with, oh, well, if you want to shake it up a bit, then. And I think they may have had him, you know, because that's shaking it up, putting another white man on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should not have said that. But these are the things that get me going. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, isn't that crazy, though. It, that is insane. Is insane. Um, and that's the turning point. So that's the turning point. Were you devastated or was it like I knew this was a possibility? I don't I didn't enjoy this anyway. I was devastated, but it was a temporary devastation. In my mind, I knew that it had happened for me, which is okay. why it was a turning point because I was like, number one, this this industry is wretched. You know, right. it's, it's like cutthroat. it's cutthroat. And that was the point that I realized. That's when I grew up. Because I was like, look, whatever you do in life especially for somebody like me wanting to do something of significance, you are going to fight and you're going to fight doubly hard because you are a a woman of color, a black woman. Be mindful of what you're fighting for. Mm -hmm. And that was the day that I was like, this is not what I want to fight for because I didn't even like this job anyway. So if I'm going to have to fight for what I want, let it at least be something that I want. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing. The second thing was no one is ever going to take food out of my mouth. Like I felt like these were decisions made by people who did not look like me making a quick decision about someone based on aesthetics. Right. And I said, I'm never going to be that vulnerable again. That was the moment when I said, I need to build a platform because I know I I have it. I don't need any more proof or validation. I was like, I was able to walk into the studio and have this man created. Yes. Like, so I know that I can communicate. I know that I can write. I know that I have these ideas. I need to build a platform for myself so that if I get a show on a network, they cancel that show. Life goes on the next day. Mm-hmm. I can still make money the next day. My name still means something. As long as I'm in TV news, someone's going to own my name. Someone's going to own my likeness. There's going to be someone who can make a decision about my livelihood who doesn't care anything about me. For sure. And it could be based on simply I want somebody of a different gender or a different shade. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Aisha K. Haynes again. Mm-hmm. That was the turning point. And six months later, I created the the brand that is now paying me today. So let's talk 
talk about the brands (laughs) that you have not only sustained, but expanded Mm -hmm. um, and have made great strides with. So tell us about it. Sure. So it's called Women Love Power. Mm -hmm. Um, It dawned on me about that time that the one consistent thing that I issued that I've always been fascinated by was women, Mm -hmm. how women get power, um, power in relationships, how women get power in the world. I realized that in college, that's what it fascinated me. I realized that I had been thrilled by the notion and concept of seduction Mm -hmm. and of soft power. And that when I looked literally at my library, it was that was all the books. And so I was like, this should this should be something. There's got to be some sort of market for talking about basically all these power treatises that have been written from Sun Tzu to Robert Greene are written implicitly for men. Like where are our power treatises? Mm-hmm. And at that time also there was like the P-Way community online was begin- becoming big. And I was like, there are these websites where these men go and they learn like these games and these tactics to run game on women crazy. to pillage yeah. women as if y'all need more assistance in creating <laughs> havoc in our right. lives. Thank you. And I'm like, where is our antidote? Mm -hmm. You know, where is our place where we can go and we can learn how to harness the best that we do? So that was the that was the beginning uh, thinking. It was actually originally called The Seductive Woman. And I took the lives of fascinating women from Erica Badu to Jacqueline Kennedy. And I kind of mined their lives for sort of wisdom and, and tactics and ideas that could empower women. And as I started it, and at first it was just, I started the platform, I put it out there. I put out what is now really big, but it's called the, uh, this captivation archetype mm-hmm. assessment um, that actually put the brand on the map. Um, I realized that what I was doing was so much bigger than just empowering women to think about relationships differently. I realized that our entire world is shifting. Absolutely. And a lot of the conflicts that we're seeing in politics and a lot of the social upheaval that we're seeing is because we are shifting into a place, well, back into a place of feminine consciousness, mm-hmm. back into a place where so these ideals of collectivism, um, these ideals of leading um, by attraction versus leading by force, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these ideals are coming back to the fore and it's uncomfortable for people. And women are rising. Right. Um, and that's, there's a reason why I think, I think that's actually happening. Ironically, I think it's happening because of the internet. Um, I think that uh, because we nerd for a minute. Of course, go for it. Um, <laughs> so, masculine consciousness, you can say, kind of exists in sort of like your uh, the left side of your brain, right? It's like this the realm of analysis and, and rationality, and kind of like seeing things sequentially. So, reading happens in the left brain. So, what happened in the 20th century is the rise of television, mm-hmm. and the rise of, of movies, and then ultimately the rise of the internet which gave the rise to the image. And so we connect to image in the right brain. Mm-hmm. And so, especially with the internet, where we communicate with the image, and when the image, and when the internet first came, it was mostly written. And then slowly and slowly and slowly started shifting to image and image, image mm-hmm. to the point now where you have the buzz feeds, which are, you know, gifts and images, right. a little bit of, you know, slideshows. Now all the media organizations are video, video, video. They don't even want, you know, the writers are losing their jobs left it's and crazy. right. I'm it's like, crazy. Sometimes I want to read. Oh, I'm absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 
watch. <laughs> and I can't even get an article on MSNBC. It's just all video. It's all video. And I think what's happening is, I mean, part, part of that is just capitalism, but also <laughs> what's happening is that we are so shifting rapidly into this place of feminine consciousness that the image, which exists and is processed in the right brain, which is this realm of feminine consciousness mm-hmm. and creativity, is ushering in the shift and is also a reaction to the shift. But I think literally the technology that was brought about by masculine consciousness has ironically brought about feminine consciousness. Got it. And I think, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the the, the um, primacy of image and also the fact that uh, the internet and our technologies are bringing us together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's instilling this collectivism that sometimes is a terrible thing, as you saw in Charlottesville, but also can be this a great democratizing force. So you're just seeing a lot of feminine ideals come into the fore and our world is going to figure out, has to figure out how do we adapt? Mm-hmm. How do we make sense? And women have to figure out how do I adapt to this? Because women are going to be required to stand in their highest power. Right. And I think for me, part of the issues, is, as I know, people will hear this mm-hmm. and the minute they hear the word seductive mm-hmm. um, or hear the words feminine consciousness, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily put that in. together. Yeah, yeah, at all. And I think seduction has a negative connotation. Yeah, because it's been defined by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it has a negative connotation in America more so because you've got these, you know, America is the the least sensual society ever. It is a mm-hmm. very, I don't think you realize how brute American society is. But number one, it's founded on these like very puritanical ideals and this sort of repression of pleasure and this suppression of women. And when you suppress women, you suppress pleasure, you suppress sensuality. It's a very mm-hmm. capitalist, greedy society. So when we think about seduction in America, it's been associated with sin because seduction is really just, it's persuasion through attraction. So a brand, for example, mm-hmm. when a brand wants to sell you something, they don't say, okay, this is all the reasons why this brand is great. Let me tell you why you should get this brand. We are number one in this, you know. Mm-hmm. No, they play music. They show you images. They hit you with a, a jingle or a tagline. Right. And it's like nausea, upset stomach, <laughs> you know, hey, Pepto Bismol, like these things you can like, you don't even try to remember, but you mm-hmm. do. That's how the brand seduces you. When in other cultures, the notion of seduction is charm, mm-hmm. is pleasure. So in French culture, uh, a converse, the, this conversation could be seductive. Mm-hmm. We're just ha- we don't have an end goal. We're not arguing a point. We're not trying sure. to arrive at a conclusion. We're just literally exchanging ideas and having a good time. Mm-hmm. That's seduction. Seduction is is uh, really, it's it's it's. Getting the yes without asking the question. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's appealing to pleasure, it's appealing to the senses, and it's charm. Um, that's not in our society. Also, our society is so anti-women, and because seduction is associated with the realm of the feminine, mm-hmm. anything that comes from that realm must be sinister. And so that's why in our society we've attached this very negative association with it. But I think it's a beautiful thing, and it's empowering because in our dating culture, which is so centered around sex, right, to center it around seduction actually says you take the emphasis off of sex and you put it back on the people and the pleasure of engagement versus how quickly can we get into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, and, and I think, too, it's important to really note that seduction is not tricking anyone. Not at all. No. Like, you know, because people will hear that and think men will be like, oh, so you guys mm-hmm. are trying also, to men's, Jedi mind trick Men typically are better something. seducers than women, which Agreed. is not how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But no woman actually agrees. No woman... <laughs> 
Oh, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay. Many women do not go into relationships thinking, gee, I just want to have sex with this man and never know where this is going. Right. And then eventually, and it's in his, on his terms when he calls where he wants it. And mm-hmm. then eventually I won't hear from him again. Nobody goes into a scenario wanting that. They get it because you go into the scenario wanting the romance. Mm-hmm. And the man appeals to the romance. And unfortunately, in that situation, that's seduction used in a negative way where you are essentially providing pleasure Mm -hmm. and you are appealing to a person's highest sense of themselves. So making a woman feel beautiful, making Mm -hmm. a woman feel comfortable, making her feel desired um, in order to engage her. But then unfortunately having negative aims. Right. Seduction is a a power. It's a soft power. Any power can be used for good or for bad. Both uh, Barack Obama and Donald Trump were presidents. Mm -hmm. They both had the same power. Both power can be used for good or for bad. This is this is true. They appeal to different segments of the population. Absolutely. So, I mean, so for me, seduction is the ability to really create pleasurable experiences beyond the bedroom. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to really see someone and validate that person's highest being. When people think about Baduism and her race, it makes a big, big deal about what her vagina must be like. Okay, I'm sure it's great, but I think her appeal. (laughs) I, it would probably be great. But I think her appeal is that Erica, a person like an Erica Badu can see someone. Mm-hmm. They can see who that person is. They can see where that person is insecure. They can build that person up. They can validate that person. They can create pleasurable moments. Right. I mean, imagine what a day with Erica Badu is like. I mean, I'm it's going to be sure a fun day. Yeah, like no other date you've been on. Even if y'all sure. don't end up in bed, it's mm-hmm. probably going to be a fun day. And that's seduction. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think about as you're bringing this up, because people always talk about Badu, like how. They do. That's why I love you know, these sort of examples. <laughs> yeah, like Erica started dating this person before they, you know, you know what Boom, they're wearing. There goes the koofy hat. Yeah, yeah. jeans pants <laughs> made out of burlap and like some crazy Same hats. <laughs> um, but one of the examples that I think about, and people always kind of like question why Angie Stone was mm-hmm. with D'Angelo. And, you know, people didn't, don't realize A, that mm-hmm. they were a couple, and yes. B, she's the one that gave him his confidence. Now, granted, she was older than him, um, but she's the one that said you have it you, exactly. you're beautiful you can be this and people look at her you know she's older she's not the thinnest mm-hmm. you know, she's not the lightest mm-hmm. and it's like, well, what did mm-hmm. he see in her and I think it it just clicked for me what you're talking about yes and she spoke to the highest version of him that's it that's it. And when you do that, that's getting the yes without answering the question. Like mm-hmm. that's making people want to be with you versus having to force them to be with mm-hmm. you, guilt them into being with you. I want, I will follow you wherever you lead me. Now you can lead me off a cliff or you can lead me to the promised sure. land. You know, power is neutral. Power takes on the shape of its container. So it's about you, which is why I always say women, seduction is empowering for women because number one, we tend to go into relationships with good intentions. Sure. We want to love people into their high itself. We want to build people up. And seduction also gives women that power because seduction takes it, takes the emphasis away from the sex and it gives you an opportunity to see who this person mm-hmm. really is. So when you understand seduction, you can understand what it's being done to you. Absolutely. Yes. But there are women, black women who will hear this. Mm-hmm. I know because I'm friends with some of them. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, here we go again, you know, with us being expected to build somebody up and, and pour oh, into no, them. Oh, no, 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 no,
Um, well, the first thing I think is you seduce yourself. Mm-hmm. That seduction is about how you live your life. Seduction is not this like step one, mm-hmm. step two. No, so seduction is about incorporating pleasure in your own life. Seduction is about being the person that being the person of your happily ever after before you even quote unquote get it. Mm-hmm. So I always say to women, what do you for women who are like, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, get with this guy. Da, 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 da. When that happens, what are you hoping you're going to feel? Are you going to mm-hmm. feel like if he, if he chooses you, you're, you're more beautiful, you're more secure, you're more success, successful by association? Like, what is it that you are thinking that is going to happen when this person comes into your life? Mm-hmm. Whatever that validation is, you've got to give yourself that validation first. That's seduction is a lifestyle. Seduction right. is me when I was single, going out dancing four days a week and just living my best life, salsa dancing and having a good time. Seduction is me, you know, self-care, taking a bubble bath. I'm going to take a day off and just do me. Mm -hmm. Seduction is me loving me and wanting to be loved in that way. Even if that means that there are going to be less men. Seduction, first Mm -hmm. and foremost, is me being conscious, loving myself by being conscious of who's in my space Mm -hmm. and loving myself that I'm only attracting people who are going to match me in the way that I love myself. People can't love you past your capacity to love themselves. So that's where seduction starts. And we tend to think of seduction as tactics and strategy. No, it is. It's a lifestyle built on Mm self-love and self-care and pleasure and sensuality. And then if you can find someone to share that with, someone who matches you on that level, then you engage him. And it's often very enticing to meet a woman who is confident and, you know, has her own life and has her own interests. It's very exciting. Mm It's very attractive. Right. Um, And a lot of times men will either run from that. Mm -hmm. I've had men literally tell me I was I was scared of you because I know you wouldn't like I knew I you would you would call me on my stuff. I've had that (laughs) conversation several times. You would call me on my stuff and I you know they will either run from that or they'll see that and they'll they'll run to it. Mm-hmm. quickly because it's right. like oh my god like I want there's a part she's she's got a party going on I want to be a part of that party so yeah seduction is not about like you pouring into someone it's pouring into yourself so that you don't have to be reliant on someone else to pour into you yeah and then being mindful of finding someone else that can match you on that wavelength and oh, yeah. I, I, I want to highlight something you said you mm-hmm. said pouring into yourself so that you're not reliant on someone else to do that because oh, yeah. I think what yes. happens is you talk to women and they're like I'm just gonna do me but mm-hmm. they're doing them in an attempt to attract the man. Absolutely. So the motivation is still off. Your intention yes. is still off. You can engage in self-care. You can go to the spa. You can buy yourself flowers. But if you're doing that just because you're waiting, waiting. for the man to come around the corner, you've right. missed the whole point. Absolutely. You're doing that self-care and over your shoulder, you're like, is he there yet? No. Right. You, yeah. And it's and, and the thing is, you got to get comfortable with being by yourself and mm-hmm. comfortable just going with the flow. Like right. comfortable, you know, even if you are engaging men, not knowing where it's going like for, uh you know right now i am dating somebody but before him like i even first of all first he had to creep for like a year because <laughs> i just thought he was a friend mm-hmm. i literally was like oh yeah so we're friends oh you want to hang out okay so we're friends. like he had to kiss me for me to figure out <laughs> i was, was like oh because that's how i was engaging men mm-hmm. it was like oh i'm living my best life oh you want to do this together cool great no expectations none of them were getting anything anyway mm-hmm. like you know so we weren't you know it wasn't like we was going to end up in the bedroom it's like oh if you want to go out you know have fun great cool that was it um and that men found that seductive mm-hmm. 
and maybe it was because I was showing up just doing me and being present in the moment and and, and those who couldn't match my energy fell off. And you've got to let them fall off. Bye. Without having anger, like, <laughs> oh, I'm doing all this stuff. And he came he's not, and then he's not, not rising to the occasion. It's because he's not for you. He's not for you. Right. And I and I do believe that there's two things. I believe your energy attracts. Mm-hmm. So when you are loving yourself and you're in that place of truly loving and accepting yourself, mm-hmm. you are going to attract only people in that wavelength. And the thing about it is there's not going to be as many people on that wavelength. Right. It's going to feel like there are less men in my life. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Because the ones that show up are going to be the ones that can hang. The ones who aren't there to do harm. That's the first thing. And two, Maya Angelou is famous. You know, people won't remember what you say. They will remember how you make them feel. That's seduction. Because we don't just seduce lovers. You seduce everybody. Right. I mean, you you go into an interview and you convince someone to hire you. Yeah. You find potential business partners. You see someone that says there's something in you that I want to invest in or I want to sew in. Yes. I, I do agree with you there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say women love power is <laughs> not just about seduction. It's, mm-hmm. But we talk about soft power, which, you know, I think one of the reasons why our world is the way it is, is because there is so much hard power. There's mm-hmm. power by way of force and coercion. How do we get people to work for us? We offer them money. How do we get people to stay. We threaten them. We mm-hmm. make them scared to leave. You know, we fight wars, like all these examples of hard power, police brutality, you know, this the state coming in, showing its strength against marginalized people, hard power. How do we lead by soft power? Mm-hmm. How do we lead by being inclusive? How do we lead by allowing people to bring them their best selves to the table? How do we create social safety nets so that people can really walk in their purpose mm-hmm. and not have to worry about being homeless to do right. so? You know, how do we create more responsible caring corporations, mm-hmm. that there, there's a balance that can be struck. So a lot of women love power is not just empowering women in terms of, you know, seduction and also self-love and building themselves up and going out into the world as their highest selves in their relationships and in the world. But it's also, you know, speaking and calling for, you know, a higher uh, way of leading, mm-hmm. leading with more balance. Got it. Yeah. So what do you say specifically to black women? Because often I think we're shrouded in masculine energy mm-hmm. just by way of uh being last on our own lists Mm -hmm. and the way we show up in the world and what is expected of us. Yes. And because we're often devalued Mm -hmm. and viewed as someone who doesn't deserve the best of the best. Yes. Treated a certain way. So if someone's struggling with that, what do you tell that black woman to to start to move into the direction of feminine consciousness and being able to walk in her own power and self-love? So two things. I am going to, I'm going to try to say this in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was a recently, recently a Twitter thread. Um, you know how if you have a website and on that website you have an image and on that image you tag that image. Mm-hmm. And the reason you tag that image, so it might be an image of a waterfall and I may, and, and so when I'm putting that image of the waterfall and I'm going to tag it, waterfall, water, Niagara Falls. The reason I'm doing that is so that if anybody's browsing my website, they can search and find that. Mm-hmm. Or so Google can find that image and put it in search. We all have an image of ourselves, and that image has been tagged. Say that again. Yes. <laughs> and that tag reflects how you define yourself mm-hmm. and who and what can find you. That is good. And you have to ask yourself, who tagged your image? What narrative did you allow to tag your image? Because... I look at a woman like an Erica Badu or mm-hmm. a Jada Pinkett or Angela Bassett or an Oprah Winfrey. They tagged their own images. They defined themselves. They did not buy into the narratives that were given to us by media. They didn't, I don't I don't listen to this. Number one, all black women are single. I'm sorry. I know too many right, who are not. black mm-hmm. women who are happy and married and income and all hues. Is there colorism? Absolutely. Is our society set up? 
you know, to be a white patriarchy mm-hmm. and a white patriarch, patriarchal capitalist society. Absolutely. Do black women technically find themselves at the disadvantage point? Absolutely. But you can empower yourself within a disempowered society. Got it. And the first place that comes from is empowering your thoughts. And it's that ability to define yourself. And so I do ask women, like, who tagged you? How do you define yourself? And where did those definitions come from? And maybe it's time to rewrite those definitions. And it may, t- may take time to not only rewrite, but mm-hmm. also internalize. Internalize. But that's all I believe in affirmations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was starting my business, the thing about entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship will expose you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Anything you struggle with personally will come up in your business. Mm-hmm. And so I had to think about how I saw my own worth. Uh, and how I saw my own value. And I actually had to, I have a practice every morning where I do affirmations mm-hmm. and I write them in this book. That's kind of helped me rewire some of my own tags. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually especially helpful for disenfranchised people, especially black women, to think about who, who told you about yourself? Was it your own mother, father, your friends, the your ex, the man who played you? Like, where did you define yourself and your limits and your aspirations? And, and, and how do you choose to define yourself because that's going to influence not only how you behave, but who and what you can possibly attract. Wow. And and, and you don't have to be a part of the matrix. You can choose to be empowered and disempowered. You don't have to buy into what we're told. And in terms of coming into feminine consciousness, you know, that is a matter of, if anything, I think women, but especially black women, we've been denied our pleasure, mm-hmm. especially African-American women coming from a history of slavery, where quite literally you not only did not own your body, but you had, I mean, absolutely no sexual agency. None. So this idea of this being my body, my right to pleasure and my right to sexual agency uh, sometimes I think takes a little bit of work because mm-hmm. some of us have inherited some negative uh, negative thought patterns, if you right. will. So I think for black women, importantly, it's important to number one, it's OK to be selfish. Mm-hmm. It's OK. If nurturing, you can nurture more than other people. You can nurture ideas. You can nurture yourself. You can nurture your business. You can nurture your vision. You can nurture your movement. Right. You don't just have to nurture other people. It's not ours. You, you know what I mean? You right. have to give to yourself first. It's OK to be selfish. Self-care is a high priority. Making time for pleasure, the things that make you happy and the things that make you smile and the people who make you smile. That's a high priority. That's it. That's it. And I want to go it. back to what you were saying about sexual agency. Mm-hmm. That means being able to make a choice that I don't owe you anything. Not a damn thing. Not because we went out three times. Doesn't or matter. You bought me this. And Doesn't matter. I don't owe you anything. You can start the act. You can be having oral sex and you still do, you can get up and leave. Mm hmm. You can, I mean, this is the thing about consent. I think a lot of times I was reading this article on Blavity and it was a woman who talked about going out to brunch with this guy and she was like, he started to kiss me and I felt a little weird, but I kind of went with it. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Then later on, he was like, do you want to hang out at my place? You want to drink Hennessy and watch Netflix? Okay, so most people... <laughs> Not Hennessy, <laughs> Most people will be like, dark liquor, Netflix. Ah. Yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. She did it. I was like, all right, you know what? She's young and somebody in this, in the, who's listening to this may have been made the same choice so they start watching Netflix he starts coming on to her and he gives her oral sex and you know and she accepts it and then he starts having sex with her and it's like (gasps) 
And then she says in this article, she let him. She mm-hmm. she did consent and then continued to consent. And then afterward, she was like, oh, my God, it was right. And at that moment when he didn't ask her, to, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and but she's like, why did I consent? And it's like, you don't realize how much our culture, like people think seduction is bad. Seduction takes takes the focus to pleasure and away from the body. Mm-hmm. Like our hookup culture, yes, it's predicated on like feminine uh sexual freedom. Yes, we have the ability to be with who we want and that's a beautiful thing, but all sex isn't liberated sex. Say that. You know? Mm -hmm. And you can be free to participate in a relationship that is damaging to you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't, if you lose sight of your ability to say no or to have boundaries or to have expectations attached, like this is what I need to be comfortable before I do this. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to do this just because I'm at your place. I don't have to do this just because we started making out. I don't have right. to do this because you spent money on me. You spent money to engage me. Mm-hmm. My time, yep. My energy, yep. This conversation, that's what you spent the money on. You didn't buy my body. That's priceless. Right. And, you know, <laughs> it, it was interesting to me when all these stories started coming out of Me Too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd hear women saying, well, if this is the standard, then I've been sexually exalted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, yes, that's, the, that's point. the point. That is the point. Most, I mean, our hookup culture endangers, endangers the body of women, I think, in ways we don't understand because we, we focus so much on celebrating the fact that if you want to go get an orgasm, you can go out and get that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's a beautiful thing, girl. I love it. But we, we don't talk about the fact that there's so many women who are having sex they don't want to have. Right. And going along to get along. So it's like if your mind is still in chains and your body is liberated, that ain't going to work. You're still in bondage. You're still in bondage. And you have a lot of people. This, if you ask me, I think that there's a reason why our culture, this this hookup culture, this culture of keeping a casual hooking up situationship kind of comes in the mid 90s, just as women are really getting empowered. Mm-hmm. Like women are really in the workplace. We're killing it. We're doing our thing. Sexual harassment is a thing. Now you talk to me the wrong kind of way. I actually have recourse. And now we have this like culture of hooking up and it's predicated on female sexual freedom and but it's not predicated on sexual agency and what it's really doing is helping men get what they want with minimum investment that's the winner that is it right there you hit the nail on that's the head that's the winner so if you are navigating and we all have to navigate but just like I said you can be empowered and dis- in a disempowered system mm-hmm. if you are aware of what you're working with and of the realities of the system you can empower yourself you can set your own boundaries you can set your own narrative you can say I don't want to sleep with anyone who is not this and it could mm-hmm. be in love with me in a relationship with me or whatever you you could say whatever it could be married to me if that's what to me. your you're story is right. yeah. you're not weird you're not being uh unrealistic mm-hmm. like you're worth that right why not you have to, I mean, I just think we have to reevaluate, number one, how we define ourselves and, and how we move in these spaces where, yeah, it's been engineered against you, mm-hmm. but you can still move beyond that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> OK, so shifting gears a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. You know, it's crazy. Actually, I'm telling you the story because I say when I think about that question, mm-hmm. that is my mind goes. My mind goes to the moment that I realize 
realized it was weeks into the audition mm-hmm. um, for that show. And it was the day that they brought in the higher ups and the human resources manager. I'm like really big on energy and, mm-hmm. I, and she was there and I spoke with her and I just something she said, I can't remember what it was, but it just in my soul, I saw what was happening around me. And I remember that I got in the car and I like cried my eyes out. So I was like, what, what, what is this? Like, why am I like, I've worked hard. I've checked every box. Like, why is this my life right now? And that was the day that I think I stopped crying and was like, I'm going to come out of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to do this and it's not going to be this. And that's okay. But I'm going to come out of this in a place where I've got some control over my destiny. My no one else is ever going to be able to determine whether or not I can or can't work. Wow. Yeah. So before I let you get out of here, one more substantive question. Because it's one thing to be passionate about something and to make that uh, statement. It's a whole other thing to actually monetize Mm -hmm. what it is you're passionate about. Yes. So how, in in brief, how have you been able to actually make money and sustain yourself off this belief system? Yes, but God. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So I actually, Swimmel of Power really is a, an online educational platform. Okay. And next year we'll be expanding into events as well Mm -hmm. um, and a masterclass series. Right now, um, I've had great success with the Five Laws of Feminine Power. It's a five-part, nine-hour course, intensive course, and it really goes through not just the dynamics of soft power and sort of being able to master people and master your circumstances, Mm -hmm. but what it really takes to master yourself mentally and get in that mindset. And the response that I received from women have reduced me to tears on more than one occasion. That's awesome. So it's so yes, this is my, these are my ideas and my ideas are what get me on to podcasts mm-hmm. and onto shows. But at Women Love Power, it's really about breaking down these ideas and helping women really live their best lives and more than anything, get what they want because power is the ability to get what you want. For sure. And that's it. And so it's using, you know, soft power tactics and psychology and all of those things um, to, to really empower women and help them develop in a way that helps them walk in their light. I love it. So where can people find you online? You can find me at womenlovepower.com. You can find me on Instagram at Aisha K. Fanes, uh, Twitter at Aisha K. Fanes, and YouTube at Women Love Power. Don't forget that K. Yes, yeah. Aisha K. Fanes. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed this conversation. Too We're going to continue it with a few other people shortly. More on that later mm-hmm. to our listeners. <laughs> but I really appreciate the candor you brought to this conversation and, and the unique perspective. Oh, it's refreshing. Thank you, Delicia. This is a wonderful conversation, really. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. To our listeners, especially our female audience, please go online, check out womenlovepower.com. Men, y'all need some education too. So follow Aisha, get into her thoughts and her ideas and her perspectives. I think it might change your life. And remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 